Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to Listen Money Matters. Money is the best deodorant. My name is Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you? And I know what you're drinking, but tell me what it is anyway. Wait, you, you know what I'm drinking? You saw the bottle? Wait a minute. Actually, I just... I knew it was beer. <laughs> and when I said that, I was like, wait a minute. I didn't actually see the bottle. So, okay. I'm just lying uh, right now. I, Laura went out, and she, she got me some beer. Um, it's it's a robust porter is what it's called, but it's it's really cool because it's from um, <clears throat> ballastpoint.com is I guess the the company, and it's a brew it yourself brand. So like, they give you all the details, the temperatures, like the batch size you should make it in, like the ABV that comes out, and like the hops they use. So you you buy the beer, taste it, you're like this is good, and then they just give you the instructions on how to make it on the back. Okay, wow. so you're supposed to like brew it and then kind of compare what you got to that beer. Yeah, and then like when you taste your beer, you're like, wow, I'm just not as good as them. <laughs> <laughs> How can I ever be not as good as people who do this for a living? <laughs> I figured it would be the exact They gave me the recipe. What do That's you have? I feel every time I cook, man. They gave me the recipe and it just didn't turn out well. I'm a baker. I'm not I'm not a cooker. I can't like um, can't feel it. Yeah, I can't feel it. I need like exact instructions, and I need to like measure the meniscus and make sure it's perfect. I'm, no, I'm the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I cook it, I'm like, well, what heat's it supposed to be at, and like, how long is? It? And Anna's just like, you just eyeball it. You know, you just do it. Like I can't. <laughs> I think I'm getting better. I stole a recipe from Chase, so that he and his wife made, and I'm gonna make it tonight probably. But uh, as for now, I am drinking once again some Lapsang Souchong tea. I also have like some really gross-looking green drink in the fridge, and I'm probably going to drink that later because mm. so. I need more vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to get the mango one, and then I was like, all right, I'll just suck it up and get the healthy one. We researched the, the tea. You know, you spelled it last episode. Put in the show notes. We're going to try yeah. and make it like a new thing. We're going to make it a thing? Lapsang Souchong? Yeah. All right. Our guest on the show today is Francois Delam. I got that right, right? Got it perfect. Yes. And uh, Francois from Policy Genius. Now, we talked with uh, the other co-founder of Policy Genius a while ago, uh, Jennifer Fitzgerald. And today, Francois, the other co-founder, is going to kind of go deep in uh, the entire topic of life insurance today. We just kind of want to give like an overall explanation of it, like who should buy it, when you should get it, how much you should get, all that good stuff. So, dude, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Great to be on the show. Yeah. So, uh, first question, how many people here have life insurance because i am not one of them <laughs> I, I have a, an employer sponsored one but i think it's like 1.5 times my salary which yeah. laura will survive not long on <laughs> Wait, does that mean like lump sum well i see I, that's like a, this is the year. thing i don't really even know how this all works actually because laura was asking me this and i'm usually like pretending like i know everything but uh i, I don't know if it pays out in lump sum D- does this stuff pay out in lump sum francois yeah, it generally does pay out a lump sum. I mean, some insurers will allow you to uh, do a lump sum payment or you can orchestrate uh, setting it up as an annuity if you'd want. Um, but that's really down to sometimes the insurer and what you set up. And, you know, obviously some people then set it up through a trust and, and how it pays. But uh, for the most part, it pays as a, as a lump sum. Would you get interest if you paid out as an annuity? Like, would you make more? Uh, if you, yeah, if you set it up, um, depending on how you set it up, there is, there is opportunity to do that uh, for sure. And it's also just a way for controlling it, right? I think that's a bigger portion. I think some people want to make sure that this lump sum is not kind of handed over to a spouse. Um, you might want to kind of, you know, portion or 
portion it over a, a period of time, particularly if you've got small kids and making sure that that cash is kind of um, allocated in a way that, you know, you'd want it to be allocated. I was going to say, so if I don't trust that Laura won't blow it all in like a month, I should wrap mine in an annuity. <laughs> Pretty good idea. That's a little, yeah, inside tip. You can definitely look into that for sure. Oh, man. Okay, so we might have people that are just like clicking on this episode as like their first time listening to the show. Mm-hmm. They don't know what life insurance is. So can we start at like just the foundations? Because what I know of life insurance is you buy it and then if you die whoever's name is your beneficiary gets a certain amount of money to kind of live off of. Is that basically the idea? Yep. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Okay. So life insurance is not for you. It's for whoever you love that kind of depends on you. Exactly. It's for your beneficiaries, which typically are, you know, your spouse, your children, uh, or any other dependents that you would have in your life. Um, sort of as parents, for example, is another one. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, if you get life insurance, is it only does it only pay out if you die, or like what if you just can't work anymore? Yeah, so if you can't work anymore, um, you know that's generally a product such as disability insurance, um, mm. which will cover, and, and that's it's a terrible name. It really is the worst name in insurance because what it really is is income protection, and that's the type of insurance that you would purchase uh, to protect your income, which for many people is you know obviously their biggest asset, and is one of the products that actually most people don't look into, and is in many ways more valuable. Uh, than a life insurance policy because you're you know insuring your biggest asset which is your income so that yeah. typically is what disability insurance will cover um, whereas you know life insurance will pay out on on the event of death some policies will have features where you know if you get a terminal illness or something like that um, they'll pay out uh, a certain portion of benefit uh, to help you during that period particularly as it comes down to medical costs and things like that and, and arranging final expenses mm-hmm. so there are some nuances as it comes to products but at a very kind of high basic level um, the policy will pay out um, upon upon uh, you passing so thomas um is is young mm-hmm. uh and if he got disability and invincible uh, right, and invincible. As we all are. Well, yeah. okay, so then that, that totally ruins my question. But let's pretend like Thomas isn't invincible. And say uh, he, like, falls off a skateboard or has, like, a, a freak, like, figure skating accident or something uh, and can't work. Will it, this pay – like, would disability pay out for him for, like, till forever? Yeah, so dis- disability is a really interesting one. So I think the stats out there uh, for a 30-year-old – is likely to have some form of disability that will take them out of the workforce for at least three months um, before the age of 65. I think the, the, the stat on that is one in three or one in four people. So it's a much mm. likelier outcome. Um, obviously, yeah. these things tend to happen further on and later on in life. Okay. Um, but it's certainly it's certainly an important thing to take into account. So yeah, disability is, think of it as you know your protection against income. Accidents actually form a very small portion of what claims are. I think it's mm-hmm. around 1% to 2% of claims come from some form of accident. Uh, but predominantly, it's an illness, right? So if you think of a large illness that could take you out for a significant period of time as you recover, that's really where you see a lot of um, a lot of people making claims. So um, Thomas has his friend who actually, he's a developer like me for yep. a living. And um, he wound up being uh, not ergonomic in how he worked and mm-hmm. uh, really injured his arms and yeah. wound up having Huge. to not work for a while, but like if you seriously injure your arms and maybe can't work ever again, but this would literally protect you for the rest of your life. Correct. And you'd have to, you know, you'd get policies and there's features on the policies to make them the very strong. So there's a feature called uh, an own occupation policy, for example, right? And that dictates if you're unable to perform your current job, but you could do something else. So maybe your friend could go and teach 
uh, and wouldn't need their arms, they would still get that benefit. So there's ways of constructing it, but yes, essentially um, that would pay out in cover. Um, and so really okay. you're thinking about protecting your biggest asset, right? Which is your income. Yeah. So, I mean, the question that I wanted to ask was um, for people who are not yet at retirement age, mm. what is the proportion of, you know, people who are just like getting hit by a bus or immediately dying to the people who are just having an injury or having an illness that, that takes them out of commission for a while and can't make uh, an income because it's almost in my head it seems more likely that the latter would happen to you and thus disability insurance would be more useful um, than life insurance yeah and I, in many ways in many ways it is I mean they're, they're both they serve diff different purposes but I think people underestimate the need for something like disability insurance to your point it really is something that's driven largely by people claiming due to an illness um, but I think when people hear disability, they sound, you know, they think about getting hit by a bus or something like that, which is a pretty rare occurrence. Um, yeah. It really is those illnesses. And I think, I mean, I think we can all think of someone who's had that sort of impact on their life um, mm. and, and have, has had to be out of work for a significant period of time. Um, well, I got to tell you, I'm really good at not getting hit by buses. <laughs> <laughs> I Even don't know how good I am about not getting sick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like this weird dichotomy between disability insurance and, and life insurance because disability, mm. you could be selfish with it, right? Because you're alive, like it pays out. I think anyone can like resonate with that. Yeah. But life insurance is, is selfless, right? Like when I die and I have life insurance, that means I actually care what happens to the people when I'm gone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, that's, it's certainly a trigger and it's, it's certainly a trigger, particularly when you get married and even more so when I think you have a child. Um, and that's what we see in, the, in terms of people coming in and purchasing, right? It's normally six months after or six months before having a kid. It's that realization, right, that, that there's something kind of greater than me right now. And, uh, uh, and people really start to think quite seriously about life insurance and, and why they, why they would need it. Well, like realistically, like who would you recommend to get life insurance? Like a, a, a kid in his 20s who's in his first year in college? Like, I don't know, like non-working parents? Like, I, I don't know. Like who, who really should who does get it? it? Yeah. yeah. So it's really someone who, you know, where they have someone that relies on them, right? So there's a couple of examples and we can go through them. So for people that are generally younger, it, it doesn't make sense because there's no real dependent. The only time that it might make sense um, is if you have student loans that are co-signed. Um, mm. Generally, those are co-signed by a parent. You know, if something was to happen to you, your parents um, would be responsible for for that for that loan payment. So wow. we sometimes I, see people. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a little unknown fact. Messed but, up actually. Yeah, I didn't exactly. know that, but I had never thought of the possibility <laughs> of having life and in, life insurance for that purpose. Yeah, and that's you know. I'm, Fewer people think about it. It should be something I think people think about, particularly, you know, given what student debt looks like today and, and the number of parents that are going in on co-signing. Often you'll hear, you know, parents who are a little kind of clued up on this, they'll either purchase the policy or get their, uh, get their kids to purchase the policy to make sure that they're covered. I was just going to um, say, like, I think any prudent parent who's yeah. <laughs> signing this, like, thing, they, they should at least take the policy out. But, yeah, and you're absolutely. saying they could do that on Any prudent kids. parent should just yes. be co-signing for loans, I think. Yeah, exactly. And the correct, they can, they can do that and purchase and pay for the policy themselves. And, you know, if we're talking student loans, you know, hopefully we're talking anywhere between no more than a hundred K for a person in their twenties buying a policy. It's, you know, that's a really, really cheap policy and it's not going to cost you more than $10 or $15 a month. So, so it's, 
It's affordable coverage. So if like the whole payout was like 50K, say, which mm-hmm. I think is like a lot for student loans, yep. you're saying that would cost you roughly how much a month? It couldn't be more than 10 to $15. Now, the preface there obviously is what, what health condition you are in mm. and everything else. But if, you know, if you're generally very healthy and stuff, that's a, that's a very low face month, particularly given how young you are. Um, okay. And so um, that's, that's not an expensive policy at all. Um, and, you know, life insurance in whole is not particularly expensive. Uh, the stats out there, people think life insurance is four times more expensive than it actually is. Um, wow. And so I think, you know, not enough people do the research out there to see what it costs. And particularly if you're buying it early on in life, um, around those life events of having a kid or starting a family, um, you can get some really affordable coverage, um, particularly if you're in good health. And that's when you should be thinking about buying it rather than okay. later on in life. So let's move into that kind of cost and amount area, like how much life insurance do you need Mm. and what is it going to cost you in general? I mean, and how much variance is there between, you know, young kid who has just a wife and like 60 year old dude with 17 grandchildren. Just a wife. (laughs) They're expensive, Thomas. Okay. Yeah. Just a wife. That's, that's understanding it a bit. (laughs) Um, yeah, so it's, uh, also come, so I'll, I'll tackle the first question, which is around, you know, how much coverage you th- should think about, mm-hmm. um, the kind of the back of the envelope that you throw out the whole time, a lot of the times it's like 10 X your actual income. We like to do a little bit more probing, uh, and some of the calculators that we've built out to kind of help people understand. Um, but you really kind of sort of think about what you're protecting, right? So uh, a couple things to think about. One is if you have children, um, looking at their age, um, and thinking about, you know, if I was to pass away, what would it cost to um, potentially look after these kids if they're still young because your spouse might have to work? Um, and also then think about, okay, if, you know, if, they, if I wanted to go to college, what would an amount be, what would an amount look like that I'd want to leave along? So, you know, guarantees that they go to college. Um, and if your you know, kid is one, one years old today, 18 years time, the cost of college is, is going to be significant. So we, you know, we factor those into our calculations. So that's one portion. Um, the second is looking at your spouse. So does your spouse work? Um, would your spouse be able to continue to work? Um, how many years of cushion would you like um, to provide your spouse? And we generally see people doing anywhere between five to 10 years. Um, some people would like to give all the way up to retirement. I mean, um, but generally people you know, want to leave a cushion that allows uh, the spouse to get back on their feet and work everything else out uh, and, and to be comfortable. Um, and then, you know, you're really looking at um, debt, right? And so what kind of debt do you have? Um, and most people would want to, one, make sure that most of their kind of personal debt is paid off. And then uh, a preference around if you've got a mortgage at that point, is that something that you'd want to have paid off for your for your spouse so that they no longer have to worry, they don't have to move house uh, and all those types of things. So those are generally um, the big drivers uh, that you should think about. Um, okay. And again, those are the big drivers that should, you know, make you think about whether you even need the product. So that's a good question to actually to add in here. Say you've got 10K in credit card debt. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you die, life insurance not, you know, notwithstanding, that debt isn't transferred to your spouse. Like, mm-hmm. It's just kind of absolved. Yeah, but exactly. If you have life insurance, um, I'm guessing, my guess would be that your debt would have to be paid out from that life insurance policy before it could go to your spouse? Is that how that works? Or is it still just kind of like credit card companies as well? Yeah, I, you know, I, on the specifics of credit cards, I'm not sure. I'm sure they would probably look at your state first. I mean, the credit card companies mm. are probably going to make some way of, of getting back and seeing if they can reclaim that. So 
either they'll they'll probably look to your estate and if you don't have a life insurance policy they'll look to see if they can claim it elsewhere okay. uh, otherwise it would come out that would be that would be my guess but i'm not 100 percent sure on that to be honest it's a good point but i mean I think if you have like an obscene amount of debt, mm. possibly you wouldn't get a policy for that reason. But I feel like it's like really short-term thinking to like yeah. skimp on seven k in debt payments <laughs> to provide for your wife, you know, for twenty years if you if you die. Exactly. Yeah. But those are kind of the those are the kind of the smaller things. I think the bigger the bigger questions here are really around you know large debt obligations and particularly just kind of how you think about your kids and your spouse and, and, and who looks after them and how they looked after. That's, those are the big drivers. So uh, how is it calculated, um, like what I would pay for a certain value? And is it based on my income? Like if I earn a lot, is mm-hmm. it like, I don't know, cheaper or something for me to get a bigger policy? Or is it as the same as if I was unemployed? Um, no, so it's generally the same. So the big drivers are um, obviously how much coverage you're looking for. Uh, the term of the coverage. So, you know, if we're talking term life insurance here, you generally buy a policy that lasts for a specific amount of time. So 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Um, and as you think about that, that's really deciding, of, you know, when do you want your life insurance to last? And that's generally most people take it up till retirement because at that point they've saved enough for retirement and their kids are out the house and are at college. Um, so those, those two things would be the primary drivers. Then age is a massive driver. Um, uh, gender, uh, to an extent, is, is a driver as well. Um, and then some of the health issues. So smoking, non-smoking is big. You know, if you're a smoker, you can expect premiums to be uh, 30, 30% plus more expensive than a non-smoker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other health conditions. So your weight, your cholesterol, your blood pressure. Have you had any family history of uh, specific illnesses? Have you had any illnesses? Um, do you partake in any hazardous activities? So all those kind of things build up uh, into what's called your health class. Uh, and that's how the insurers think about bucketing you into a specific um, level of risk, at which point um, they'll quote against it. Gotcha. Okay. And just to uh, go back to what we were talking about earlier, just looked it up. It looks like if you name your estate as a beneficiary on your life insurance policy, mm-hmm. then debts could be taken from it. Yep. Otherwise, if you're just naming individuals, then the they can't take um, whatever debt you owe from the life insurance policy because there we go. it's going to somebody else. Yep, there we go. So, so one of the things I, I was can talking send you that about, link. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, I think one of the interesting things I was talking about with Laura is like I have I have an insurance policy like, and it's actually very minimal because mm. it's through work, <laughs> but um, we don't have one on her. Mm. And I mean, we don't have kids now, but she does a lot, and I think. <laughs> When we have kids, she's going to be home taking care of them. And uh, like nannies and stuff are insanely expensive. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> oh, I didn't even yeah. consider. I was like, oh, it obviously has to be on me because I'm important. <laughs> but I would be screwed if, if she wasn't around. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's exactly right. And we in, in the calculators that we do, we kind of estimate, and these are stats based on the studies that people have done, that kind of uh, work is is valued at anything between seventy to a hundred thousand dollars a year, depending on obviously where you live, right? Mm. Um, wow. But if you thought about, you know, if you were going to going to continue working, you would have to have um, you'd have to have daycare, you'd have to have people looking after kids, particularly if they're still young, and and that's and that can run that can run very expensive. Now, does this work like health insurance, where if you're married, you can name a spouse as like part of your insurance coverage, or is it completely individual? So there are. 
are some types of joint policies out there. They're a little bit more complicated, and I can send you guys some links about them afterwards. Mm-hmm. We generally advise people to purchase um, the policies individually okay. uh, for a couple of reasons. One, um, you know, if you're doing it together, then the health clerk, they'll underwrite you based on your combined health. And so if there's certain health issues, um, one person might get penalized. Um, kind of more selfish, like just, you know, matter of fact, um, life insurance can be forever. Sometimes marriage is not forever and that can get really complicated. So, you know, if, if you ever to separate and you've got this joint policy, um, it can get really complicated in terms of how you think about splitting that up. So, um, generally what people do is buy it individually, uh, buying it together in terms of buying two individual policies together. You don't get discounts. Sadly, um, we do wish that was something the insurance company or the industry would do, but, um, you know, uh, our, our advice is to buy an individual policy. Gotcha. Okay. Now, when you get paid out, um, do you get taxed on this? Nope. It's a uh, it's a tax it's a tax free benefit. So, so if I have a, a policy that's a million dollars, like I will actually get one million dollars into my bank account or into my wife's bank account. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I don't know why I thought like I I guess I feel like never when you get money, <laughs> like do you get the full amount. No, absolutely. Well, I mean, you think about it. You're paying. You're paying for it with um, with post tax dollars, right? Mm. Um, and so that's already thing. Um, obviously, um, you know, yeah, that's 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 the primary driver, and it's and it's covering a certain amount, and that's why it's 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 so appealing for people as they think about planning uh, for something like that. So, one of the biggest we, we get a lot of questions about this. I'm sure you guys get a lot of questions about this, and I think there's like a lot of confusion even around the difference between uh, whole and term life insurance, um, where whole being like this ridiculously complicated beast. <laughs> yeah. Um, could, could you kind of like enlighten us a little bit? Sure. I can give you, you know, the high level to, to what that is. So, I mean, there's two, there's two really main types of life insurance. There's term life insurance, which ends after a specified time. Uh, and then there's what's called per- permanent life insurance, uh, and that has a cash value component to it, right? Um, and permanent life insurance lasts the whole your whole life, basically. That's that's what it's there for. Now, within permanent life insurance, there's um, there's obviously a couple of different flavors. Um, and so you can get variable life insurance. You can get whole life insurance, which is what you've just referred to. What do you, what do you uh, say? Variable life insurance? Variable, yeah, variable life. Variable. Insurance. What does that mean? Um, so it's it gets into the kind of nuances of how they treat the cash cash value component. Mm. Um, and so a whole life policy, when you're putting the cash value component and money's going into that, it'll, it'll earn interest. Uh, generally, that interest is guaranteed to a certain level, whereas variable, they'll take that cash value and put it in mutual funds, for example, and then the gains are not guaranteed. So there's, there's a lot of kind of nuances that come into these policies. Um, but the big difference is basically, you know, you've got this cash value component that builds up over time. Um, and you know can can accumulate some value and and most of the gains that will come from that are are, are tax deferred and and then if you're um, actually claiming on it on 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 a death um, you know tax free uh, and so for some people it's it's quite an, an appealing thing to look at um, particularly people who have larger estates um, or have got more kind of complex estate plannings where they're trying to you know, trying to optimize for um, what those taxes on estates will be and everything else mm-hmm. um, people sometimes look to that but. It's significantly more expensive. Um, and, um, you know, what we like to say is investments and in insurance should be kept separately, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, insurance is there to insure you in, on a specific event, and you should be keeping those dollars differently because essentially you're paying the insurance company not only for protecting you, but you're also going to be paying them administrative fees and everything else to be managing this investment component, which often can be more expensive uh, than actually just going through and you know putting it in some mutual funds or something like that. Yeah. So to maybe like distill it down, you would recommend whole life insurance for for like actual wealthy people, perhaps as like an estate planning slash tax optimization thing. But for like the 90% of normal people, you'd, you'd say term. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would never wholeheartedly recommend whole life. I think that's something that you need to or permanent life insurance. That's something you would want to chat with your um, uh, your personal financial advisor who has a full picture of your financial situation and how you know something like a permanent life policy could supplement other strategies that you're employing. Uh, I think that's, you know, it is a complicated product and it should be taken seriously given how much money you're, you're going to be allocating towards it. Um, and I think the big thing to recognize there is a lot of the returns in a whole life or permanent life policy really only get realized 20 to 30 years later when that cash value component has, um, has, uh, has grown. Uh, and the biggest problem you see is people, you know, sign up to something like a permanent life policy and then within the first two to five years um, realize the premiums are way more expensive than they were budgeting for. Um, and um, they then surrender the policy and generally just don't get very much back from it. So you've put a huge amount up front, which has gone to the fees, paying the um, agents' commissions, which is no small thing. I can tell you that on a, on a, on a permanent policy, mm. um, and you know that that all gets taken out. So if you've got this long-term horizon, you know you can make the payments. Your financial planner thinks it makes sense given your your financial situation. Yeah, definitely, definitely look into it. Um, but mm-hmm. for the most part, you know, term life is where you should be. And as you guys probably have given advice on, uh, keep your investments separate and, uh, and keep them, keep a long-term view to that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I've been going through the form to kind of see like how much I would need mm-hmm. over the past couple of minutes here. And it suggests that I do a 30 year term. Mm-hmm. So why is it suggesting that amount of years versus something shorter or longer? And how old are you, by the way? Me? Mm-hmm. Just me. 24. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the big, the big driver there is, is taking, taking you up to, up to retirement, right? So the okay. idea being that, you know, you'll probably, as you build up your retirement funds, um, and with your spouse, if you were to pass before then, there'd be some sort of gap there that you'd want to, that you'd want to think about. Um, okay. and so that's, that'll be one of the primary drivers there. Gotcha. So you want to have it. You, so I guess the idea is to have it cover you as long as possible. But in most cases, like whole life is not worth it. So you're just a long term. Exactly. Right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. How cool. much are you getting a quote for? What was the quote? Well, I haven't put in my health info yet. Got but it. I put in all my financial data and it's saying that right now your cost estimate is between 24 to $26 a month. Yeah. Which for is uh, $340,000 of coverage. Yeah. Hmm. So, and I mean, like, I don't, I kind of fudge the numbers a little bit because I don't know exactly what my AGR is yet. Hmm. I got to do taxes, but yeah, that was <laughs> what it was. So I'll do the basic health thing and we'll see what we get. <laughs> now, I, I have a work policy that covers me. I think it's like 1.5 times my salary, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, is there, are there any like, I mean, what what is generally enough as a rule of thumb? And are there any like pitfalls with this if you do it through your job? Yeah. So, I mean, the rule of thumb, I mean, well, the rule of thumb on an employer depends what they offer, right? So most employers offer anywhere between one to two times. Some of the more generous maybe go up to three times. Um, but um, the general rule of thumb, again, is what a lot of people point to is 
ballpark is around 10 times what your annual income is. Um, again, that varies depending on your situation, but that can be like a ballpark figure to think about. Um, it's interesting. Through employer, the benefits of it, obviously, are you don't have to go through medical underwriting. So it's guaranteed. They give it to mm. you, um, and you don't have to go through all of that. Now, um, some of the drawbacks sometimes is that because they're insuring you as a group, um, they're obviously looking at the group and they're saying, okay, we've got a bunch of young, healthy people. And in the group, we've also got um, older people or people who, uh, who might not be as healthy, right? Uh, and so they're providing kind of an overall um, rating based on that. So what we often see is, um, you know, people who are young um, can often qualify for, for rates that are cheaper than what they'll probably be getting through their work. Um, so because you're, under, you're underwriting your exact risk. So if you're very healthy, you're young, you know, we're underwriting your specific risk rather than underwriting your group risk. Um, so with your work, they're actually taking stuff out of your paycheck if you have it, right? Potentially. Some, some, some employers actually pay for it completely. So okay. again, you really need to look at how your employer does it. Um, and um, you know, often it does make sense because it's just so much easier to have that policy with them. Yeah. Um, and to just get it up and running. But, you know, if you're young and you're starting a family, you know, the, the sooner you can think about getting an individual policy, the better, because also that policy can move with you. Um, some employers allow their policies can be transferable and you can change it if you change jobs, but it's not always the case. Okay. Do you have to pay for yours, Andrew? So I do have to pay for mine. It comes out of my check, I guess, before mm -hmm. I get it. They just take it out. I think it's, I don't know if it's pre-tax or post-tax, but it really makes me think cause there's a lot of old people in my company. If, <laughs> if I ran the quote with you guys, if like I, I would find out like I'm like literally subsidizing other people's life insurance because I, I don't like that. You well, should definitely run the quote. quotes. Yeah, you should definitely run them. I just got my quote. Uh, what is it? Because I did that. I did the basic health thing, which is essentially telling it. No, I'm not broken. Uh, <laughs> I don't smoke and I don't do drugs. That's good. So this is what I'm wondering about. So it says best price, I can get basically 25 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. And then the next option is no medical exam, mm -hmm. 70 bucks a month. Yeah. Ah. Who would pay an extra <laughs> $45 a month? Someone who's just to not terrible, have to go to the doctor uh... <laughs> once. Unless like you're hiding some sort of third arm or something. It's a it's a very it's a very good question, and um, you know that was something that we wanted to run and test basically, right? So we wanted to see because I think a lot of people talk about life insurance and like oh, it takes six to eight weeks to do. You've got to do a medical exam and everything else. You know we should be moving most of these policies that are instantly given to you. Um, now the drawback to your point is as you've seen of these instant policies is uh, they tend to be a lot more expensive. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you went through that, there'll be probably 12 to 15 questions and they're called knockout questions, right? So they'll go through the big main health things. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you hit any of those boxes, they'll automatically trigger you out of the process. Um, okay. but if you get through all that, you know, you can get that policy under in the next 24 hours and there's no medical, there's no fluids, um, but you're paying a lot more for it. Right. Um, yeah. so we've had that running as an AB test to see what people think about it. Um, and see how they purchase. Um, we don't get a lot of people purchasing it. The people that tend to purchase it, um, smokers. So the difference between um, a fully underwritten product as a smoker and a um, instant policy like that as a smoker tends to be there's less variance. So we do we do see smokers sometimes take it up. Mm. Um, and then you know if you're getting a much smaller sum of money, right? So if you're thinking of a fifty thousand dollar policy, that policy might cost ten dollars uh, if you get got the medical exam, and if you don't, it's you know, thirteen dollars because you're just talking about a much a much smaller pool, um, and there the hassle might just be like, I you know, it's fine for me to spend an extra couple of dollars a month to to avoid yeah. the hassle. 
I was going to say okay. like the lazy factor. Yeah. 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 Well, I am not going to pay five <laughs> extra months to so I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> and it's funny, so. right? Because you you tend to buy these policies maybe once in your life, maybe twice. You know, mm. it, it's there is a process to it, and it's um, you know sometimes it's you know it takes it takes a while. It's not as easy as getting a mortgage and other things, but it's not something you hopefully have to do very often. Um, and so really, yeah. you're, tr- you're trying to lock in that good rate and and pay that throughout your life, and you know stick it away and not have to think about it. Uh, too often again. Right. One of the the things I've been thinking about is I've got, I don't know, like 25 or whatever years to like my traditional retirement age. So Mm -hmm. maybe I can get like, you know, 25, 30 year policy. Mm -hmm. And then like when that completes, you know, when that that term is up, Mm -hmm. would I be getting another one or is the assumption that I've planned for retirement and don't need one? Yeah, so there's a couple of things you can do. Um, the policies, uh, most insurers offer some sort of convert, uh, conversion uh, on the policies. You can convert it to a permanent policy if you need be. That's often obviously significantly more expensive if you choose to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do have that option to, to kind of extend it. Um, yeah, and you, then you do see um, you know, people come back and potentially get a much smaller policy, right? So at that point, hopefully you've got to a point where your mortgage is paid off, the kids have moved out of the house. You might figure, hey... I just need a little bit of a stopgap here just to supplement um, the more morbid stuff like burial costs and things like that. Um, so there, there are people who do it. What we tend to see, which is kind of interesting, is you know people purchasing it around 30 to 35, having their kid. And then that 45 to 50 um, is another time where we see a peak of people purchasing. So they've maybe had a policy before. It's expiring because they took 15, 20 years. Uh, and now they're looking to get a little bit more to take them to retirement or through retirement. Um, but... You know, hopefully, if they've listened to most of the advice you guys are probably giving, by the time you get to retirement, you've got your, your financial shirt up and uh, life insurance becomes less less important at that point. Mm-hmm. Now, there are people who, unfortunately, have, have not planned for retirement at all, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they're maybe getting towards older, like, could some, not like you uh, plan to, like, die and then this is your retirement policy for your your family i I think it's a terrible idea but do people maybe buy into things like this as like maybe like whole life or something as a stopgap for that um in terms of as a stopgap for retirement or as a stopgap for kind of protection for their family i guess i guess protection for their family like um I, i don't know um not i mean not that that we've seen too much. I mean, people, yeah, if, you know, if you're looking as uh, at protection, you're thinking about it and you've left it a bit later in life, you know, we do see people come in uh, and purchase that. You're obviously going to pay a lot more for it. Mm. Uh, and that often scares people off. Um, sadly, you also see the thing of like, you know, people come through when they've had some sort of health issue happen to them. Uh, and that's obviously the worst time to be purchasing something like this and often can make it very difficult to purchase the policy if at all. Yeah. Um, and so those are the big things to, to avoid them. I mean, if you're purchasing it young and you've, you know, you've just run a quote, you know, if you think about your kind of general expenses, it's, it's not, it shouldn't be a huge portion of that. And so it really comes down to kind of taking, taking the impetus and, and getting out there and getting it while you're young. Um, right. that's the, that's the most important thing. And that's the thing we advise people to do. We were talking about last episode, Andrew, with the, uh, react, you can't really do much in reaction mode. Yeah. Yeah. There's a much, there's a big cost to it. So I'm going now. I'm going through the long-term disability insurance, mm. just as a experiment. <laughs> a little uh, more so complicated. So can you explain yeah. the? Okay, for one, it's saying 127 to 171 is my range. Yeah. So yeah. it seems a lot more expensive. Than it's a lot more expensive. Yeah, it wow. is. That's 
getting near what I paid for health insurance. <laughs> yeah, it's expensive. And I mean, the big so the big drivers of that are um, one, it's more far more likely to happen to you during your life than mm-hmm. uh, premature death. So that's one factor to take into account. Two, right. if you're getting it young and you're making you know a, a decent income. Um, the uh, the payout can be pretty significant, right? So if you're being paid out for the existence of your your career, we're talking three, four, five million dollars, right, over the course of course of your career. Yeah. Um, so it is more expensive. I think the advice that we give people on disability insurance is if you are employed full time, um, your work will often offer that um, as a benefit. Um, so always get through what you get. Always take what you get through work. Uh, it'll always be cheaper. Okay. Um, they're not now, as, this is for disability insurance. This is disability specific. insurance. So it's kind of the flip side, right? Gotcha. Um, so they're often they're um, they tend to be a lot cheaper. Um, they um, tend to be most employers will make you pay for it, um, and if you're paying with pre-tax dollars, um, that benefit would be taxed if you ever had to claim on it. But if you pay with it post-tax dollars, which most employers try to set up with, uh, then that benefit's not taxed, right? Um, okay. So what we see is, and when people come oh, in, ever, yeah, no, and ever, yeah. So, so if, if you would like to pay with post tax, and I get hurt, you know, two years from now, yep. for the rest of my life, that benefit I get is not taxed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because you pay okay. with after tax dollars, mm-hmm. um, and so most, a lot of employees still do it with pre tax, and so they think, hey, I've got sixty percent of my income is covered. Uh, it is, but okay. that's going to get taxed. So. Yeah. There's that. There's often there's often what you can see a shortfall, right? And with that yeah. shortfall, it can make sense to um, get a supplemental policy. So you okay. get a supplemental policy for a smaller amount, um, which will obviously reduce your cost. Um, you can put features in there that allow you to increase it over time without having to go through underwriting, which is really attractive. So you're kind of essentially locking in your health profile today, um, and it'll allow you to increase. If your income increases, you can go and apply for. You know, another thousand or two thousand dollars a month of benefit. You don't have to go through underwriting, even if you've had um, a health event. So, you know, if you've gone and had you've had cancer for for um, as an example, because you've locked that rate in, you can still get more coverage um, without having to do the underwriting again. Um, okay. So, you know, buying a supplemental policy makes sense. Again, it's also transferable, which is more important in the disability case because, uh, in most cases, employers it's often hard to transfer that if you leave jobs or um, even more importantly, if you become self-employed, because we get a lot of people coming through who are self-employed um, and, you know, have this great benefits at work and then they're, um, they, be, they, they take up self-employment and they're like, okay, I got to figure this out. Yeah. Um, and it becomes more difficult to get something like disability, right? Because disability insurance is unwritten not only on your health, but what your currently your income is um, and, and everything else. And if you're just starting off, off as a, um, uh, as a self-employed uh, individual, you don't have much record of that. And so you might not be able to get as much coverage and things like that. So one piece of advice is if you are thinking about leaving your job and going uh, and, and doing your own thing, uh, think about purchasing disability insurance at least, you know, six to 12 months before uh, mm. before making that jump. Okay. Um, so the next part I'm looking at here is the waiting period. Mm-hmm. So can you explain what that is? Yeah. So how, how disability insurance policy works um, this is long-term disability, right? Uh, use generally a waiting period of which it won't pay out. Um, and, and then there's a benefit period in which it'll pay up to. So as an example, the kind of standard what people get is a 90-day waiting period um, okay. to age 65. And so what that means is the policy will not pay for the first 90 days that you're unable to work. Mm-hmm. Once you hit 90 days, it'll start paying. Uh, and as long as you're unable to work, it'll pay all the way up to age 65. 
Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and that's where you can flex a bit, right? That's where you can flex in terms of cost. So if you've got more savings, you might want to wait to 180 days because you think you can self-insure for the first six months. Um, or, you know, you might just want a shorter benefit period time for whatever reason. Those are ways to optimize yeah. on cost. They send like okay. private eyes to stalk you out until 65 <laughs> to make sure you're disabled. Like, <laughs> they do. So it, again, it depends on the insurer. And, and, but generally they, um, you know, they'll obviously require um, documentation from your physician to explain the disability and what's happened to prove that it's an actual disability. Mm. Um, and some of them, you know, require that you check in uh, on a regular basis and there's regular updates and things. Um, but, you know, beyond that, there's no... There's no big thing. I mean, obviously, there's they've got people there, and if they feel like anything funny is going on, they'll investigate it uh, in more detail um, yeah. because that's just sadly the nature of insurance, and some people are out there to game it. Um, so they need to they need to keep tabs on that. But um, the individual policies are incredibly strong. They're expensive for a reason, um, and um, they really do provide that peace of mind that a lot of people should 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 think about and look into. So, can you explain what own occupation coverage is? Yeah, so own occupation is basically saying um, it's insuring you for your own occupation, right? So what that means is um, if you're a software engineer uh, and you would become disabled, the policy will pay you um, as long as you can't um, do that that job. And so my example earlier, you know, you might say, okay, I can't I can't program anymore, but I can go and teach a course that doesn't require the same skills. You'd want to continue to still get a benefit from that, right? Um, and so that's own occupation. It's much more expensive, but it, it really gives you that peace of mind around, okay, I'm protecting a certain uh, skill set. And that's that's really important for people like doctors, right? So if you're a specialist okay. or something like that, you really want to insure against that, but you might be able to go and teach or do something else afterwards. Um, so that's to protect that. Well, the, flip, the flip side to that is any, any occupation, right? So it's saying, listen, if you get disabled and you're unable to do your job, but you have the abilities to do something else like your job, uh, then you will not get paid for that for that benefit. So okay. if I'm a software developer, doctor, teacher, whatever, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, will it still pay out even if I could be like a, a bathroom cleaner? Like, or or if like is any job kind of negating that? Yeah. So the um, so own occupation would right because it's the idea of like you still want to pay, but you want might still be able to do some form of work. Um, and there's different flavors of own occupation and, and, and any occupation There's a spectrum. So I should send you an article after this about it because it might pay a portion of it or reduce it depending on, on what kind of income you can bring from another job. But any occupation would essentially, you know, within reason, it's got to be within, you know, what you can be expected with your skill set to be able to go and do um, uh, that, you know, you have to you, you basically be, you know, not be able to get the benefit Um if, if you could reasonably do a job that your qualifications qualified you for. Um, gotcha. okay. So, and those are, those are cheaper policies. Um, and, um, you know, that's, that's some of the risks you take on, but, you know, we generally advise most people for, for an own occupation just to, to lock in the, lock in the language. Without own occupation, they're going to be like, well, you can be a Walmart greeter. Not always. <laughs> Not always. Fortunately, there's, there's within reason there, but you know, it obviously opens up the contract a little bit more for interpretation, but it really is. And that's why it's really important to make sure when you go through something like disability insurance to, with your, uh, with the agent or financial planner you're working with to really read through those, those definitions. So only the occupation definition and how they define disability is probably the most important one to, to pay attention to. Um, and, uh, you know, your, you know, qualified broker or, or, financial plan will be able to give you proper advice around that and, and what you're covered for. 
So gotcha. this kind of dates me a little bit, but I remember when I was younger, I would be home and uh, there was at least one time that like an insurance agent came to the house, <laughs> like sat at our, our kitchen table, yeah. like, broke out his like folder <laughs> of like all papers that exist yeah. and like proceeded to like th- like two plus hour pressure my mom into buying something that she didn't realize and i I know that that's like you know (laughs) it's like the 1993 (laughs) approach yeah uh why why are you guys (laughs) why are you guys different because i I feel like that's why insurance has a really shitty like name to it it's because they they come and they they pressure like moms yeah it's um well it's not only a 90s approach it's still a 21st century approach sadly but um so, I mean, I think there's there's a couple of things, right? So if you really look up and why we started something like Policy Genius, the belief in the industry is that insurance needs to be sold. It's never bought, right? So the idea of being, mm. you know, you need that person to be able to come and make an emotional connection and, and make that connection to why, you know, you'd be a horrible person if you didn't get these products um, in order to sell the policies. We don't think that's true. I think we think people generally understand there's a need for insurance. What they don't understand is when they need that insurance and how much they need and what do they need. Um, and we think that by providing transparent information in an environment where you can yourself do self-discovery, right, uh, and explain it to you without having someone sitting across from you trying to trying to push a sale, um, that people will self-convert. Um, and that's what we're seeing, right? Um, and really not enough focus is being put on helping people decide how these products, you know, fit into their financial life in a digital way, because that's how they're, you know, researching other financial products now. Um, I don't think you can say, you know, investments in anything is any less complicated than thinking about an insurance policy. And and that is becoming more of a standard for people to do online. Um, And so we wanted to do that for insurance. And, uh, you know, more to the problem and why we went into the industry was um, that um, the average age of an agent today is around 59. So a third of this workforce is going to be retiring in the next few years, right? There's not a, not a huge amount of people coming in. And as the market changes, a lot of these agents are moving more and more up market um, and serving kind of, uh, you know, wealthier individuals in order to make their businesses work um, because, yeah. you know, they don't have to scale. And so there's this whole population that really doesn't have access to an agent. I think there was a stat that said eight out of 10 people in the U.S. don't have, don't have a life insurance agent or something like that or don't have access to one. Well, how would um, you even get an agent? Like, I thought they just assign themselves to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, people generally search online or they'll ask their neighbor or something like that. I think that's kind of like always been how people people think about it. Um, Mm. But to your point, a lot of people just don't want to deal with financials that way. And I don't I don't think there is a need for it. I think for certain products that are complicated there, you know, there's it's, it's a good idea to either get a financial planner involved um, and particularly like a fee-based financial planner, right? Because then they don't have the, the kind of incentives aligned to, to selling the policy. So getting, getting them involved for more of those complicated products. But, you know, something like term life insurance, um, I'm sure you guys just saw going through the website. It's once you get to it and spend a couple minutes on it, it's not overly complicated. Mm. Um, and it's something that, you know, no. um, you know people, people can, can kind of self-select into. So, Laura Yeah, it was I, really simple. Good. Yeah, it's ridiculously <laughs> simple. I mean... <laughs> Uh, Laura and I were like going through life insurance stuff and having conversations and we I selfishly wanted to have you on because <laughs> to answer my questions. Yeah. Um but one of the things like I really thought uh was awesome was these calculators you guys have where uh it's like and actually I, I we're kind of looking at you as like an interface design standpoint cuz I think it's like pretty <laughs> awesome what you guys do. Can Thank you tell you. us a bit about like 
the things that you calculate and how it works? On the life insurance side specifically? Yeah, and just like yeah. kind of how you guys are, are figuring these numbers out because yeah. I, I know from my experience that you're not just pulling them out of the air. No, exactly. So, um, you know, really look at those various touch points I kind of alluded to earlier. So looking at... Um, one, your family situation. So do you have a spouse? Do you have dependents that resp- um, that rely on you? Um, and do you have kids, right? And so for the spouse and dependents and kids, you look at uh, your income, for example, uh, and then we you know, get you to put your income in and then the number of years that you think you know, you'd want uh, your dependents to be looked after. So that's a simpler cal- calculation. For your kids, we're looking more at, okay, do you want them to have coverage for college? Uh, and there we're looking at college costs across states, we're state-specific, um, we'll project it out using inflation to give you a sense for what college costs could look like in either 10 years, 15 years, 18 years' time, and we'll put that into the calculation. Um, things like debt, we'll look at you know how big your debt is, how long do you think it's going to take you to pay off your debt, um, to factor that into the calculation as well, not only the coverage, but also how long you know the term the term needs to be. Um, those, you know, those tend to be the big drivers. Um, and a lot of people anchor quickly around a certain amount that they possibly want. And so when you get to the comparison page, we've built in what we call in kind of the price comparison table there, much like you do on a kayak or some sort of flight comparison, which allows you to see, you know, if I go a couple, you know, few thousand dollars upwards or down or change the term, quickly see what that does to the price point. Um, because I think a lot of people have a certain price that they're comfortable spending and they're going to optimize around, you know, how much coverage they need. Um, versus what they can actually afford in their budget. Um, One of the, the huge things we, we thought like when we were going through it was it wasn't just like, and this is blah, 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 you tweak it, and this is the cost for policy genius life insurance. You actually have like all the insurance companies listed, and you, you actually rank them based on your opinion of how like well they pay out, like how much a pain in the ass they are, like, <laughs> which, I mean, I imagine they were all going to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> some are better than others, but um, no, generally the industry is going in the right direction, which is good. But yeah, so we're um, we're independent, right? So we have really we really have no horse in the race here. For us, it's it's providing people with options. What we do is obviously go through that and make sure that the options are platform on the platform are ones that we'd want to purchase, right? And mm-hmm. so when I say that, it's you know it's a reputable company that's been around for a long time. Um, you know their um, financial rating is very very strong, so at least a minus or above. Um, for some of the kind of financial ratings, you know, those are the things that you really care about. Is this company going to be around in 20 years time if I was to make a claim? Um, and then, yeah, we provide the transparency around here's the options in terms of price and then did our own analysis of, you know, the, the companies. And it's hard to do reviews for life insurance, right? Because you buy the policy and then really the only time you're going to use it or interact with it maybe is if you're changing certain pieces of information or if, as if you claim. And it's a pretty binary decision, like you're either alive or you're not. And so the claiming for life insurance is, 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 fairly, is fairly simplistic. Um, and so what we wanted to look at is, you know, what does that look like in terms of the interaction? Like is it, is it easy during the, the underwriting process? How many phone calls do you need to do? Um, what does the medical exam look like? Um, and then more importantly, as you go through the life of the policy, what do those interactions look like? Do you still need to get on the phone if you move a move house and change address, do you have to fax in some documents, mm. which for some of these carriers you still need to, or do they have online portals to allow you to, to manage your policy? Fax, seriously, yeah. that that makes yeah. me angry even <laughs> thinking I have to fax something. I know it's it's scary, it really is. Things, yeah, uh, <laughs> you got to find one of those. Um, so we might have to, have to all to pull money together to buy it. one. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy, right? It's but the only that, place I know where to fax something. 
Yeah. I guess you can do it at Kinko's or whatever. <laughs> Dude, who wants to go to Kinko's? I, I have know. the internet. Like, I should not have to. <laughs> God, facts. Well, you, there are there are online fax things where I think you can take a picture of it and, or yep. scan it, and then you can use the service. It'll fax it for you. The first you. time I got my mortgage, I had a fax, and I got something like that, and it cost me $1.99 for fax, which it was convenient. <laughs> but it's like, Gosh. watch it. Like, I just don't get why they can't like get an email. Yeah. Like, just, we can deposit checks with pictures. Why not? yelling phone conversations with banks about that and they're just like we can't Ari, we are robots yeah yeah it's it's crazy and i mean listen i've worked in this industry long enough you've got um you know you've got companies particularly insurers who built up their technology on um on um you know very very old systems right and they're having to try and grow and build into it yeah um but you know that that takes time i i actually have one more selfish question um (laughs) So, so when I went through like my 2015 or whatever elections, you know, it said like life insurance, all that stuff. And I was like, I'm not going to die. I don't need life insurance. But I saw, uh, yeah, I mean, like, cause in my infinite wisdom, I, I knew I wasn't going <laughs> to die. Um, but I saw accidental death and dismemberment and I thought it would be like so cool if like I got like exploded <laughs> into a million pieces. And so I actually, I actually bought that one because <laughs> that's uh, so smart. I'm I really afraid of a samurai <laughs> just coming and like chop me into pieces. That's right. I was like, if street. I'm going to die, it's going to be in a crazy way. Like a, like, <laughs> like a hang gliding accident in Antarctica or I don't know. <laughs> and but, you want to be rewarded for that at least, right? Yeah. Like it. So just tell me like that. Is that any worth anything related to disability? Does do I like have to be alive for that to pay? Like, how does that basically never pay out? No, it does. It does pay out. I mean, it's it's an added feature. It generally pays a little bit more if one sort of qualifying event was 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 to happen, right? Which is around dismemberment and and um, kind of the accidental death. It's a way of providing a little bit more extra coverage for something that's very unlikely to happen. Mm. Mm. So uh, my last question is. How much per month should a responsible person be paying for insurance? Because I just, just kind of like a you know napkin calculation here, wrote down car, disability, health, rent, life. You know, if I were yeah. to put all these together, it'd be like four hundred and fifty bucks a month at least. Yeah. Um, is that just kind of the way it works? Like, if you want to have protection on all fronts, you're just going to have to front a large and, amount of money every month to deal and with is it. it a- portion of your income like does it make sense to pay like two percent or five mm. you know like what's the mm. yeah yeah it's it's a great question i don't think there's any kind of silver bullet answer for it i think it it really is kind of on a case-by-case basis in terms of you know within your budget what can you afford what does your your own safety net look like right so have you managed to build up your own um savings account and that's stuff that you should prioritize first as you think about stuff um and then what do you need to supplement it with with insurance right And again, it's your risk tolerance, right? So you can buy insurance, but you can buy smaller amounts or very high deductibles if you feel like you've got enough within your own budget or savings to be able to cover any catastrophic events. I mean, what you're trying to avoid is basically, you're trying to avoid yourself going bankrupt because of some, you know, unlikely events. And you've got to think about how does that work and what have you got in in terms of your own savings to figure and protect yourself against. Right. Cool. Cool. Do, well, do you guh. guys sell volcano insurance? <laughs> <laughs> not yet, not yet. We'll insurance. <laughs> There's actually we were laughing. Well, no, we weren't laughing today. There was a company, and the names escaped me right now. But uh, they're launching this year, and they're going to cover. They're going to have life insurance for when you fly. 
So it's a very defined period of time, but you can purchase life insurance for the event of going on a flight, for example, right? Um, so very specific event. Um, and you're starting to see a little bit more of that uh, as people kind of is find the for, niches. Is that for like people flying Cessnas or just people who are really scared of getting <laughs> No, it's for flying, getting on a plane, right? It's like getting on a plane and saying, okay, I want in this unlikely event. Um, you know, Wouldn't that's, we just get... Happen. I mean... So are regular life insurance policies not going to cover you dying in a plane crash? No, they would. Obviously, they okay. would. But what, what's, what's happening there is that you know, people want for particular events, right? And they're thinking about, I'm going to insure you know, if I go on a flight or if maybe in the future, if you go skiing or stuff and, and you do more kind of like micro event types of insurance, right? And insuring certain things. For me, that seems way too overcomplicated. Yeah, I uh, You obviously want to do it. But you, know, you could possibly reduce your cost or have more coverage for certain events that are riskier at certain times. Um, so more people are thinking around innovation around those types of products. I mean, um, if you for think me, just lock it, it up. If you're getting on Malaysian airlines, like you need life insurance. <laughs> I'm just imagining like the, the irony of like you take a flight, it lands perfectly, and then you get hit by a taxi on the way out of the airport. <laughs> like, John, you weren't on the flight, man. You weren't actually on the plane. Yeah, exactly. So, like, kids it's are screwed. Not, uh, that's no, the thing. I mean, I would get the you don't you don't know what's going to off you. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Probably going to be hard to yeah. Thing, but um, I'm not going to buy insurance for. That's like trying to predict your own death. Exactly. Keep it simple. Yeah. Exactly. And I think there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in terms of innovation and insurance. Um, and there'll be some great products coming out. But the old products essentially still work. Could the um, process be better? Absolutely. And that's the stuff we're trying to work on to to help. And could it be? You know, uh, demystified to a large extent, yes. And that's the other big area that needs to be focused on. So if you want to get hooked up, <laughs> you just go to listenmymatters.com slash policy genius. Boom! Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yes. Couldn't ask for a better, a better endorsement from you guys. Thank you. <laughs> and, and you know what? If you go to listenmymatters.com slash policy genius, just like all together – the when you go to the page, you'll see a big fat picture of my face. <laughs> Wait, for real? Yeah, yeah, for real. Like, I, I feel like there's no better face. reason to go than just be like, oh wow, Andrew does have a really big face. <laughs> it's really good for getting people off that landing page and into the funnel. Out, <laughs> That's so. right. Anything, anything to stop looking at this. Like, he really does have a face for radio. Wow. Not a very big picture of your face, Andrew. I was expecting like full page takeover. You're kind of just like tucked in the corner here. Yeah, but I think it's like proportion of like and face this, like, to head. Little just... cartoon guy's hair flip is kind of covering your chin a little bit. I asked for that. It was a feature. <laughs> yeah, I want that. yeah. Cool. Well, hey, so let's dot com slash policy genius is where you can go to check out. Uh, Francois, is there anything else that we should link people to? Connect with you anyway or uh, no, I will send you guys over some links to some articles, maybe explain a little bit more about permanent life if you want to guys share those around. Happy for yeah, those as well. That absolutely. might be useful. Cool. Well, man, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, guys, really appreciate it. How's that? Yes. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Uh, you can forward any questions over to us at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. Or if you want, you can join our community, which you can find over at listenmoneymatters.com slash join. We've got a community full of money nerds, and this will definitely be a topic being discussed there. So if you want to join us and uh, see all the cool stuff that we got coming out in the next few months, you can go to that link. And beyond that, listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox is where you'll find all of our favorite resources, including and Policy Genius. If you go there, you may notice that I dramatically, hopefully dramatically improved it. And, it, and today, when we <laughs> is this like a Is this a future thing? It, it's a feature. I, I just made no, it. No, like no. Sexier. I mean, like if I go to it right, I'm going to it right now. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's improved. It'll be slightly more improved. Oh okay. It's just like ooh, 
Andrew does know CSS a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I've been having to learn some more CSS because of the Reddit. Because like you have to do everything in CSS. You can't mm. add HTML. So it's kind of interesting. Anyways, go check it out and just like look yeah. at it and then just like judge me. Be like, nah, he's really not. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Looks pretty good. Hey, it's better than my resources page. I need to. Uh, I'm not gonna put myself in that. I'm gonna put Martin on that. Dude, actually. just on the top of your page, just link to my resources page. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have like some weird ass JavaScript in, uh, injection that just like, changes all the links to my links though. Hey. <laughs> 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 all right, Francois, thanks for being on the show again, and guys, uh, thanks for hanging out. We'll see you next week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Later, guys. All right, thanks, guys. Tell your friends about this show.